The Bible is the number one best-selling book of all time. And according to the latest research, it has sold over 5 billion copies. No other book comes close. In fact, in second place with only about 1 billion copies is the Chinese book titled The Little Red Book, written by a famous communist revolutionary. And in first, third place is the Quran. And in the top 10, you can find classics such as Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, all having sold well below 200 million. So the Bible is not only the most sold book, but also the most translated book. It's estimated that the Bible has been translated into over 3,000 languages. So it's the most sold book and the most translated book. And in addition to this, it's probably the most died for book. I don't intend to teach a history lesson, but, but many of you might know many Christians have died for this book. Many Christians gave their life so that we can read and hear what this book has to say. Just one example is uh, the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, in which it's said up to 100,000 Christians were killed for the, trans the, the French translation of the Bible. But what makes this, this book so important, and, and what makes it so sought after? Is it the, the attractive poetry like we see here in, in the Psalms, or in books like Proverbs, or Songs of Solomon, or... Or is it like the entertaining stories that we see in, in Noah's Ark and David and Goliath and Jonah getting swallowed by a well? So what, what is it that attracts people to this book? Or rather, who is it that attracts people to this book? See, the, the very being that created every hair on your head, the very being that created everything that exists has spoken in the pages of this book. He is the attraction. The triune God of the universe has spoken in every page of this book. And the passage we're in today, Psalm 19, has, has one resounding message, and, and that is that God speaks. Psalm 19 is one of the most, most beautiful passages in scripture. Um, I think it's C.S. Lewis that that says it's the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. And in this wonderful passage of scripture, the psalmist David has showed us two ways in which God speaks to us. Firstly, God speaks through his general revelation. This, this means through everything he has made, all of creation. And, and secondly, God speaks through his special revelation. This, was, this refers to the scriptures, the, the written word of God. And as we, as we journey through this great psalm, we'll see what it means to hear God speak through general revelation and his special revelation. The, the hope is that as we do this, our, our affections will be stirred up for God's word. That as we listen to, to all that God speaks through what he has revealed to us, we will respond in a way that is, is pleasing to him. So let's read the, the first couple of verses of, of this psalm. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and night after night, they reveal knowledge. See, along 
deep look at the world around us can only lead us to one of two conclusions. It's either we, we reject the one who made it or we give glory and honour to the one who made it. See, despite clear and obvious evidence of an intelligent creator, many are adamant on rejecting him. Humans have come up with all kinds of explanations to, to explain the vastness and the complexities of the universe. A lot of scientific theories that attempt to explain our existence reject the idea of God as creator. However, David, in this, in this psalm, in the first couple of verses, when, when observing the world around him, or more literally, when, when he looks towards the heaven, he comes to a different conclusion. Though atheists look at the vastness of the universe and come to the conclusion that they all happened by accident, David looked to the heavens and looked at the stars in the sky and he concluded the glory of God is being proclaimed. God is speaking through his creation. God speaks. And every atom in this universe was created to proclaim the glory of God. See, it's, it's impossible to miss. Creation pours out speech and night after night knowledge is being revealed and this is the general revelation of God that God speaks through all he has made uh, but, but this kind of speaking it's not it's not one of words but rather it's of awe awe or it's it's not the most commonly used word but I think it encompasses how we should feel when we look towards God's creation Verse 3 and 4 say, they have no speech, they use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Dr. Francis Collins is a, is a scientist. He's, he's a faithful Christian and was the director of the Human Genome Project. So he led the successful effort to map the human DNA. Uh, much, much of what we know about the human DNA is, it, it comes from his research. In his book entitled, The Language of God, he states this. He states the following. The most, this most beautiful system could only proceed from the dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. He says, this most beautiful system, our DNA could only proceed from the dominion of an intelligent and powerful being. See, like I said before, for many, the scientific observation led them to a rejection of God. However, however for, for David in this psalm, and for Dr. Francis Collins, the, the observation of the universe led them to, to hear the wordless speech of God. In the intricacies of our DNA, that that Dr. Francis Collins was able to observe. He heard God's speech pour forth. No words, but ju just awe. The clarity of God's word through his creation is astounding, and, and that's why in, in Romans 1, Paul says that sinners have no excuse for their unbelief in God, no excuse for their sin. In fact, if you, if you could turn to, to Romans 1, um, 
verse 18 to 20. I'll read. I'll read from it. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Human beings have, have no excuse for, belie- for not believing in God. However, there's something in this passage that, uh, that we shouldn't miss because God talks about atheists professing unbelief in God. Um, if, if you read verse 18 from Romans 1 again, you'll see that humans don't just do this with words, but they do it with their actions. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Human beings suppress the truth about God, about his existence, not primarily by our words, but by our wickedness. See, many of us might claim we believe in Jesus, that we might believe in God, but by our actions, we we claim otherwise. All sin stems from unbelief, and when we sin, we, we claim that Jesus is not our Lord. When we sin, we claim there is no God that will judge us for all eternity. As Christians, when we, when we walk the face of this earth, hearing God pour forth speech and night after night he reveals knowledge, when we, when, we, when we see these things, we should be left in awe of God. We should be reminded of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. Our hearts should be stirred with such affection, that, affection for God that, that it leads to obedience. So, so our words and our actions should, should profess that Christ is Lord. See, that's what it means for a Christian to hear God speaking through his general revelation. Because creation does not exist to bear witness to itself, meaning that when we see something great, we don't just say, like, wow, that's, that's amazing. We don't just say that and stop there. But... but but the, the, magnificent, the magnificence of what we see should be in line with the glory we give to God in our words and our deeds. There's so much of God's creation to, to enjoy and to marvel at. For Dr. Francis Collins, it was DNA. For us, it might be something else, lakes, oceans, animals, forests. For me, every time I enjoy good food, I, I marvel at God's existence. But we as Christians should be, seeing, should be seeing God's glory in all of his creation. So God's creation, though, um, though beautiful, is actually, is actually limiting. Because in, in creation, we see much of the power of God, but less so his character. In creation, we're exposed to his, his great handiwork, but not so much his attributes. 
Though creation pours forth speech and night after night it reveals knowledge, without words it's actually, it's actually limited. That's why in the next section of, of this psalm, King David writes to us about how God speaks through his special revelation. Let's read verses uh, 7 to 9. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving lights to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, all of them are righteous. In these verses we have six references to the special revelation of God, his, his written scriptures. So we have the, the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands, the fear, the decrees. And, and despite having different names, each one, it, each one refers to God's written word. You might, you might notice that earlier in verse 1, the name, uh, the name uh, God uses, the, the name that David uses for, for God is, is, is Elohim. A name that communicates God's great power, no doubt, as, as, God, as David speaks about God's creation. However, in these verses that we just read, you'll see that the name for God is capitalized as Lord. It's because the name David has, whenever we see the name Lord capitalized in the Bible, it's because it refers to Yahweh, it's God's covenant name. And it's a name he used to form his covenant with his people. This is quite intentional from David because God speaking through the scriptures, the general revelation of God's word through the scriptures cultivates the relationship with his covenant people. Verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul, refreshes the soul of God's people. What does it mean for the law of the Lord to refresh the soul? Let's, let's understand what, what the word law is here. It's, it's, it's literally Torah. Would have heard this word used in, in Hebrew before, referring to the first five books of the Bible. However, it's clear that David here is likely referring to, to all of God's written word. He says scripture is refreshing to the soul. And if you have like an ESV version, you might, you might see the word reviving the soul. So in other words, the word of God has the power to give his people new life. Our covenant God Yahweh has spoken through his scriptures so that our souls might be refreshed, so that we might have new life. As for the following three adjectives, the statutes, precepts, and commands, they all describe God's words as being trustworthy, right, radiant. Because God in his, na God in his nature is perfect and trustworthy, so is his word. And because God in his nature is right and radiant, so, and so is his word. As I said at the, the beginning of, of this sermon, for, for centuries, Christians have fought and died for the belief that the Bible is both inerrant and, and sufficient. That it's perfect. Sufficient for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
Christians all around the world have died for this idea. And there's a pastor in, in America called John MacArthur. He's an American pastor, um, a collector of, uh, of old Bibles. And he tells this story. He, he once spoke of the oldest Bible he received. It was from the 16th century. And so it was, it was very large, as, as that's how they used to be made. And, and he said that once you open the Bible, you'll see that every page has been saturated with fluid. Every page from back to front. And, and the color of this fluid was faded red or pinkish. And the history of this one Bible is, is both horrifying and remarkable. Because some of you who, who know your history will know that in, in the 16th century, Bloody Mary was responsible for the, for the gruesome deaths of, of many Christians who owned a common translation of the Bible. And what they used to do is that before they burned the believers alive at the stake, they would slit their wrists and bleed them into a bucket. And then they would take the Bible and they would soak that Bible in the bucket of blood. And that was the faded red mark on this particular Bible that he had. So the reason why so many were willing to die for the word of God, and, and the reason why so many are willing to die for the word of God today, especially in places like Asia and, and Northern Africa, is because they recognize its value. They recognize the restoration of the soul that comes with the word of God. They recognize that it's more precious than anything they can obtain in this world. And, and I wonder if we in this room recognize this. Because sometimes the, the battle for the inerrancy and the sufficiency of scripture doesn't just happen between believers and their persecutors. But it happens internally with oneself. Because can you, can you truly say to yourself that the scripture refreshes your soul? Can you truly say that it gives joy to your heart and, and light to your eyes? Can you say with David that the word of God is more precious than gold and sweeter than honey? How many Januaries have we opened the book of Genesis and said, I'm going to read the whole Bible through this year and by February we've, we've given up? And how many times have we said that we'll, be, we'll read that one Bible passage in the morning, but instead we've, we've reached for our phones and spent our morning looking at news, social media, WhatsApp, whatever it might be. And, and honestly, I, I do preach to myself when I say this, but, but God's word is not simply a, a happy add-on to our busy lives. It's not simply motivation in the morning to work hard in the office. God's word is, is more precious than gold. It's sweeter than anything you have ever tasted. God's word is the restoration that brings new life. We cannot live without it as Christians. And we should remember Jesus' words from Matthew 4, where, where actually he quotes, he quotes Moses saying, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out from the mouth of God. And every time we neglect the word of God, we neglect the necessary food needed for a spiritually healthy life. Our neglect and forgetfulness of the word of God is often what leads us into sin. Knowing or unknowingly. I'm going to read from verses 11 to 13. It says, by them, by your word, your servant is warned. 
in keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servants also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. See, the word of God offers us warning when we're walking astray. That's what, that's what David means in, in, verse, um, in verse 11 when he says that, uh, sorry, in verse 8 when he says that the Lord, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The word of God acts as our, as our guide in everyday life, keeping us walking the path that is pleasing to God. Because the truth is that when we, when we look away from God and look away from his word, we have a tendency to fall into sin. The longer we buy into the idea that we can live by our own strength and by our own wisdom, the harder our heart gets towards God and his word. We begin to make decisions in our lives based on earthly wisdom, often what our flesh wants, and whether it's money, success, material happiness. We, sometimes we tend to fall back into habitual sins, things we thought we had conquered. Because of the blindness of our eyes and the hardening of our hearts, we, we sin against our own bodies. We sin against our neighbors and we sin against God, even without knowing. That's why David cries, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant from willful sins. And, and David cried this because he knows that the decrees of the Lord are firm. And they are righteous. And then that word decrees that he uses, it's, it means judgment. When Yahweh has stamped someone as guilty, that decree is firm and righteous. When Yahweh has stamped someone as innocent, that decree is firm and righteous. In verse 13, David said he will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So just believe me when I, when I tell you that every one of us deserves a guilty stamp over our lives. Because, but because Yahweh sent his, his only son, Jesus Christ, to die, our guilt can be wiped clean. And because of our faith in Jesus, his righteousness is imputed unto us. See, yes, God has spoken through his general revelation. And, and uh, so he's spoken through his general revelation, his, his creation, and he has spoken through his special revelation, his, his word. But his word isn't special simply because it's written on paper. His word is special because of who it writes about. Hebrews 1 puts it like this. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in this last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Remember the verses from, from John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. See, the scriptures are nothing but paper and ink to us if we don't see he who they testify about, Christ Jesus, our Lord and our God, the living word. 
both God's general revelation and his special revelation ultimately points us towards Christ. Christ is who is more precious than gold. Christ is who is more sweeter than honey. When we come to his word and when we read the scriptures, we come to Christ. And if we have faith in him, in his life, in his death and resurrection, we can cry with David, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For Christ is my rock and my redeemer. And, and if, if you're trusting in him too, he is, he is your redeemer too. 